Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to two places. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, and then we're going to end up in 1 Peter chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Living Our Lives to Please God. Living Our Lives to Please God. And we know by now that examples are very important. They help us practically to see the gospel of Jesus lived out in real lives. We have examples in the scriptures. We have examples in our family. We have examples in our church family. We have examples in perhaps the history of our family, our friendships. Examples to copy, to follow, and also examples to avoid. But examples are God's gift to us. What does a transformed life really look like? Not that we're going to be exactly like anyone else, but there are characteristics that reflect a true changed life. And depending on what your background is, God will give you specifically people that you'll be able to look to in times of discouragement, whether they're in the scriptures, you know, go through the hall of faith and see, you know, maybe, maybe your issue is anger and you're just an angry woman, you're an angry man. And then you have in the scriptures a man like by, by the name of Moses who had an anger issue. And, and his, that was one of the things that plagued him all the way to the end of his life. And he would lose control and he would throw up his arms and he would misrepresent God and he would strike the rock more than once. He would disobey all because of his anger. And yet you see the gracious, loving care of God patiently walking along with Moses. And you know that because God was patient with him, God will be patient with you. And you know that the episodes of his life were not always anger. Moses was a phenomenal leader. And for much of his life, he obeyed God. But it was that warning from Moses, that warning in his life, that a momentary indulgence of your flesh and anger could cost you what you were looking for your whole life. Not able to enter into the promised land. Now God was very even more gracious, even in the end with Moses not entering in all those years, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of murmuring complaint, 40 years in ups and downs. Even afterwards, although he didn't experience with that generation, we know that he did end up getting in. He did end up being up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God was gracious to him. There are examples to follow, examples to avoid, examples to encourage us. I'm reminded here in Philippians when Paul, he lays his life out before the people, before you and me. And he says, brethren, this is Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, join in following, mark those words, my example. Before we even get into the text today, I want you to make that a goal in your life. Where you could look at someone, you could look at your spouse, you could look at your kids, you could look at your friend, you could look at your teacher, someone that is in your life, and you'll be able to, one day very soon, if not today, you'll be able to say with authority, brother, sister, I want you to join me and follow my example. My life. Follow me. Follow my example. Notice what he says. And note those who so walk, as you have us a pattern, 
For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul says, mimic me and watch me and follow me. Walk alongside of me every step and watch how I live my life. And as you watch how I live my life, you're going to notice that others choose an opposite lifestyle. They choose, in this case, to walk in such a way that they become an enemy of the cross of Christ. They're just those that you're not to follow. Those that you're to mark and note. Paul, in the entirety of Philippians, previously had just said, hey, we're not looking backwards anymore, we're looking forwards. We're forgetting those things that are behind. And we're going to follow that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And along the way, you want men and women that surround you who love Jesus. They love Jesus supremely and provide you an example to follow. Why? Because you will meet far many more that will say that they're following God, but they're actually just enemies of the cross. And, and the scary word that he uses here, I mean, the, the word that, that truly captures me is when he says, for many. This isn't an isolated few. Many walk. I warned you before, and I'm telling you now weeping, that these are enemies of the cross. There are many that will join themselves to a Christian church, buy a Bible and get the right wardrobe, if you will, some kind of shirt that has Jesus on it, or have a bumper sticker. But they're not truly following God. They're not surrendered. In this case with Paul, he's talking about a group of false teachers that were causing the church great harm. They would come in and undermine all the teachings of grace that Paul would have. And Paul says, don't mimic them. Don't follow them. Don't imitate them. They're heading in the wrong direction, the opposite direction of Jesus. And with that in mind, I want you to notice now Peter talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, with the truth of an example to follow, an example not to follow, I want you to see some of the outgrowth of your new relationship with Jesus. Some of you experienced this chapter, this first part of the chapter, specifically. And the Holy Spirit reserved this just for you. Notice verse 1, therefore, chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that no longer should he live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Let me just say at the outset, if you are actively practicing sin with no repentance today, no response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is time to take inventory of your life. Because a true follower of God does not live in unconfessed, practicing sin. They, they don't live a life where they are in the company of believers, acting like a Christian, and in their hearts and minds, even when they move, leave the building, you start living like the devil all week. That is not reflective of someone that has armed their minds with the suffering of Jesus Christ and the results of all that Jesus has done for us. Because remember, the audience of Peter is an audience not unlike ours. 
that are going on, that, that are experiencing and are under severe persecution. Uh, very heavy things, very difficult things. They, they are being blamed for the destruction of Rome. They're being killed. They're, they're ha- losing all of their possessions. They're, they're facing great hardship. And with all of this talk of suffering, Peter reminds us that true suffering is found in Jesus. True tr- suffering is found in his example. He died for us innocently. He took upon himself your sin and mine. And by our faith, when he died, we died with him. And the battle that he fought was not for his own sin because he was sinless. It was for our sin. It was to give us the type of freedom where no longer does sin have a hold on us. Where we walk in victory. Oh, we don't become, there's a phrase today, there's, not, there's no such thing in your human body as sinless perfectionism. You're just setting yourself up for failure and self-condemnation. You think, well, you know, Christians, they'd sin no more. No, it's not sinning no more without ever experiencing a sinful thought or a temptation again. No, what he's saying is that you will walk in a life where there will be less and less of the control and the manifestation of sin in your life. There is a distinct difference between, as you will see in a moment, who you were apart from Christ and who you are now in Christ. There should be a difference. We should be able to see it. You should be able to say to your old friends, hey, follow me. I know what it means to follow Christ. I'm different. I'm changed. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? This speaks to everyone that makes excuses for their sinful habits. And that's a bad habit in and of itself. It's a sinful habit to make excuses for your sinful habits. It's like, well, you know, I was just raised that way. Yeah, but you've been set free. Well, you know, I'm just an angry person. Yeah, and we don't like it. You've been set free. Well, you know, I just have a problem with stealing. No, you actually don't have a problem with stealing. You have a problem with your relationship of surrender and repentance with God. And there's no excuse. No, we shouldn't sin more. We should sin less. Why? Because the power of God in us, and and it's not their fault, and it's not her fault, and it's it's not someone else's fault. It's my choice to sin. It's that indwelling of my flesh that I indulge, that I feed. Even as I shared a gentle reminder today, your unwillingness to pray Let's say it's an unwillingness to pray because I don't know someone. That's an excuse for your sin. Well, I don't like those requests because they're too close to home. I, don't, I just don't want to pray them. That's an excuse for your sinful response to not pray. And God doesn't want us living a life of excuses. He doesn't want us living at a low level where we just make excuses for all our bad behavior. And then how can you tell, how can I tell anybody, hey, follow me as I follow Christ when I'm just living excuse after excuse after excuse in my life. Since you died to sin, you don't have to live for your fleshly desires anymore. (laughs) To me, that's just big, that's just glorious. You don't have to live under bondage anymore. You don't have to live in addictions anymore. You don't. You've been set free. You've died to sin. You've been raised alive with Christ. 
You're dead to them. And now we get to live for the will of God. The will of God is to live for Jesus. So, so that, you know, those of us that are living in sobriety and God has done a great work, and it's not because of our great work. It's because of Christ's great work. It's his grace in our lives. It's his ability to take us and rescue us from the miry pit, to, to take us and plant our feet on a solid rock, to put a new song in our heart. Praise be to God. So that day by day, moment by moment, he, he says back in chapter four, arm yourself. You're in a spiritual battle, church. Arm yourself with the same mind. Grab that mind of the suffering of Christ. There is so much talk today of not wanting to suffer, not deserving to suffer, not, not wanting, not deserving, and actually fighting against the suffering of Christ where God truly wants to not put you on a cross. That's never going to happen again. Not for salvation. But he wants the cross to deal with those parts of your life that are prideful and arrogant and resisting and drowning out the work of the Spirit in your life. And the response when God is bringing about something uncomfortable or discomforting is not to fight for your rights, it's to submit to your God. It's to trust him with your life. That's how this all started, church. Your relationship with God started the same way mine did. The repentance of my sin and the surrender of my life. And it just so happened in a time of my life where I was brought to the end of myself. And little did I know, and maybe you didn't know this either about yourself, but you went from that moment of coming to the end of yourself of slowly day by day regaining it and re coming back to a new way of life, but also regaining that sense of control and my life and now it's better. And, I, and eventually you may have turned a corner, you recognize it or not, like, well, I think I can do my own thing now. I, I think I can handle this. I, I don't need to do, I, you know, you get so excited about reading the Bible. I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I don't need to listen to those hard words of the pastor anymore. I don't need to love my wife anymore. On and on the list goes. And it's subtle, little by little by little by little. So when a man or a woman starts and begins to live their life like that, even harboring sin and doing things in secret, it can get really, really bad. But let's just talk in a general sense. You know, when that begins to happen in your life, God will not allow you to progress that way. You're in a real relationship with him. He will not allow that to progress. You will have to disobey him at every turn. And he will bring strong conviction. You'll hard your heart in your heart. And he will bring messages in your life and you will close your ears. He will bring about change and, and correction. And he'll even bring about deep humility through difficult circumstances. Why? He wants you back to a place at the end of yourself. That's where it all started. And that's where it needs to stay. He doesn't, this may shock you, but God's desire is not for you to be a strong Christian. God's desire for you, if you were to put Christianity on a scale, you know, and like zero is when you're just starting out. I'm sure if we did a survey, how many of you, I even use this in, in when I'm talking to people, I say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how's your life, how's your walk with the Lord? And people always give me a number and we talk about it. 
And, and rarely, I don't think anybody's ever answered, hey, how's your walk with the Lord? No, I can't think of anyone that's ever answered, zero. My walk with the Lord is zero. What? And you would have to ask, what do you mean? Well, why isn't it at least a one? Why isn't it a 10? Well, it's a zero because my walk with the Lord is zero me and all of God. That's where we need to be. But we strive to be 10. We want to be a 10. We never want to be a negative 10. But God doesn't want you at negative 10, and he doesn't want you at 10. He desires us at zero. That's where it started. It started at zero. You could even say it started at ground zero, where God brought about a brokenness in your life, a weakness, revealing to you and to me that we were unable to accomplish anything in our own strength. And so many of us came, I look at the stage here as an altar, so many of us came to the altar with so much baggage that it took a long time to sort it all out as God would put his finger on that one and go okay and then that one and okay and then that one I remember God putting his finger on things I didn't even know were a problem in my life that's how far deep I was in sin we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ Christ went to the cross Jesus went to the cross he was at his greatest he was at his greatest when he was at his least when he was in full surrender. And turn over, hold your place in 1 Peter. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now for some of you who say, well, Ed, man, I've been, my walk with the Lord's been a 10 lately. I just discouraged you. Because God doesn't want you at a 10. He wants you at a zero. He wants you at a place of full dependence. It's not part you and part God. It's a response. When even this, com- this command from from, from the Holy Spirit through Peter to us, arm yourselves, is a response to the work of, it's our cooperation. It's like, yes, yes, Lord, I want my mind to be like yours. Notice in Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things which you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so the question becomes, who will you present yourself to? The Spirit of the flesh. Who will you live for? What will you live for? Because when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the greatest examples of that, to me, is when we gather together. For at least 90 minutes, you're not in the flesh, for the most part. Now, I know some of you got mind games going on in your head right now, but for the most part, you're not in the flesh. You might have yelled at your spouse in the parking lot. You might have got mad at the dog. You might have been, but when you come in here, something transforms. Why? Because you're walking in the Spirit. At least you're wanting to walk in the Spirit. And God meets you right there. And He encourages you. Yes, it is possible to, for, for 90 minutes of your life, To live in such a way where you're encouraged, you're edified, you're built up, you're strengthened, which is why we as pastors beg you to take this outside, to take this into your everyday life, to be in the word every day, not because you have to, but because you get to. God, you get to hear God speak to you in the morning and set the day straight. You have a a proverb, perhaps, that God's just going to drop into your heart that you're going to need at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You're not going to need your flesh at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You're going to need that word from God that's going to get you through it. Why we would have you listen to praise music on a regular basis, listen to it, 
Put it on your iTunes. Matt, fill your head with it because it puts you in the atmosphere of walking in the Spirit. It is really, really hard to cuss someone out when you've got Ian in your ear singing to you. It's just almost impossible. You have Pastor Ian singing in here about the glory of God and the goodness of God, and you got somebody you know dealing with you, and you got some situation you got to go to, and you're all prepping up, and then you take that song. And I don't know if you noticed this, but we do purposely end with a song because often, for me at least, that song will be with me all week. I'll just be singing it all the time. I remember one week not too long ago, Marie just said, "Stop singing that song." I don't know if it was my voice or she's just tired of listening to it, but it, it was with me all week. I was just, I was humming it. I was singing it. I kept singing the same. It was, it was the, um, the song that Pastor Ian introduced, but I've been listening to it for a while, is Make Room. Man, it's such a great truth in that song. Lord, I'll make room for you. I know that you've given me the ability to make choices. I know you've given me the ability to fill my life whatever I want to fill my life with, even as a believer. But Lord, I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to think that through today. I'm going to give place to you. I'm going to give preference to you. I'm going to defer all of my feelings and emotions. And I'm going to make, and I was just singing that all week, all week, all week, until finally, you know, I don't know why Marie was in the flesh, but she told me not to sing it anymore. (laughs) Stop singing that song. Sometimes we'll sing the last song or sing a song that's in our heart, and we'll sing it all wrong too. We got the words all wrong and, and uh, maybe the melody, but we're singing as under the Lord. We're making a joyful noise under the Lord. It's really hard to be in the flesh. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's really hard to be in the flesh when you're in the atmosphere of grace and mercy. You know, when people call and say, you know what, I'm just having these nightmares. I'm having, these, having a hard time sleeping. One of the things I instruct is, hey, either get a radio that fills your room or if it's, you know, somebody can't sleep with the radio on, put a little earbud in your ear and go to sleep listening to a Bible study, if that's what you prefer, or to some music that praises God. And let that be the last thing on your mind before you fall asleep. Just let the Spirit of God sow into your life. Let, 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 let the Spirit of God minister to you. As we were learning, even uh, Pastor Ian was giving us a, uh, a scripture he's been meditating on, and he was just thinking, while I was asleep, God took care of me. There was nothing I was doing. Every time we go to sleep, God is overseeing, caring for us, taking care of us, protecting us. Why? Because he's faithful. So we're to arm ourselves with this same mind. We're not to walk in the spirit. We're to embrace suffering, church. That is a theme that has been resonating through our studies. That is a theme that has been resonating through our studies. The suffering that Christ experienced and the suffering of the believers in every other generation. And now we have to come face to face with our own suffering. The difficulties that we're facing. And the answer is, remember Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Saturate yourself with his mind. So that now as you are living for Christ, he says in verse 2, you're not going to live for sin and the lust of men. Notice verse 3. And this is so important. Man, I remember when this verse jumped off the page. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles when we walked in licentiousness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. For some of you, this is absolutely the description of your life before Christ. You were a partier, you were a drunkard, 
you were idolatrous, you were causing problems, you know, you were into all kinds of nasty sexual sin, you viewed women or men as objects, you were in, like this is, like, like so many of us spent enough of our past living like this. And it's like Peter's, going, Peter's saying to that group that's suffering, because suffering puts you, again, in a vulnerable place. Vulnerability leaves you open to temptation. And in a weak moment, boom, once you take the temptation, you're in. And it's almost like you were living in the past. It's almost like you're living like you never got saved. It's almost like you're like, you know, well, this is the way to go. And this is the way to go. And, and you know, it's, it starts with one little decision, then another one, then another one. Before you know it, you're living like you weren't saved at all. And Peter says, you've done enough. What is it about your life today that you don't remember where you came from? That you don't remember where you came from. And now notice, you've got the pressure in verse 4. As we were talking about examples, he said, In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, and now they speak evil of you. There's always the invitation to go back, isn't there? There's always the invitation to go back. Now you have a whole new set of challenges because there were people you used to sin with that still want to sin with you. (laughs) There were people that you used to hang out with at the parties, at the lewdness, with the love. Could have been people you worked with. Maybe you moved on to another job, but they still got your number. People you went to school with, an old neighbor perhaps that you hung out in the garage together. And now your life, having been redeemed and invested in the things of God, is a conviction to those who are still wasting their lives. I have been to a few high school reunions and it's amazing how much things don't change. It's amazing to hear the stories, even of some that weren't at the reunion because their sin led to an early death, an untimely death, a drunk driving accident, or a a whole host of things. Uh, It's interesting when I go back to our reunions that every opportunity that somebody has to remind me of my past, they're always there. But at the same time, I also have an opportunity to remind them of my future and what God has done in my life. But I can't get away from my past. It's always going to be with me. But Peter says it's a good thing because you can look back, Ed, and remember that you spent enough of your life doing this. You spent too much of your life doing this. It was a waste. You ruined yourself and others. And so people are upset. They think it's strange. They start speaking evil of you. They think you're from another planet. That, you know, next, to, next to the word strange there, you could write next to it foreign or alien. They say you're from another planet. What happened to you? Well, what's going on in your life? They just don't understand you, and you puzzle them. You might get an invitation. Hey, you want to go to a party tonight? And you go, no, I'm going to go to Bible study. Bible study? You're not into that, are you? Hey, man, let's catch that, that new movie that's out, you know, and all the stuff that's in it. And you're like, no, no, I have a home fellowship. I, get to, I go to someone's house and we talk about God. What? You do what? They might start to accuse you, attack you. And if none of that works, they'll start calling you names. 
And anytime I come back to this text, I just remember working, going to my car after work, walking through the little parking lot to my car. And one of the guys I used to party with at work came and saw me carrying my Bible. And he said, oh, Bible boy. And it was like being in high school. He knocked the Bible out of my hands. I was so mad. Man, I almost lost my salvation right there in that parking lot, man. I was so mad at him. I was a new believer. I was so excited. But man, he was, he was so, oh, just thinking about it, because I have a visual memory. So just, I remember like it was yesterday. Bible boy and man. But not even that. Just picked up my Bible, got in my car and went home. They have they're going to pull out everything that they can because you're a, you're a conviction to their life. You don't mean to be. You're not going around saying, sinner, 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 sinner. You know, I wasn't walking in my car. Hey, sinner boy, you know, how are you doing, Bible boy? It wasn't that kind of conversation. But it was your life. I mean, this is a guy that I hung out with in Vegas not even a year earlier. And things changed in my life dramatically, very obviously. Peter describes this journey, you know, because the, the temptation is they're just trying to pull you back into the world. And Peter describes this pretty dramatically. We're going to get to it when we get to 2 Peter, but I want to show it to you now. I want to give you a, a heads up of what it's like, especially those listening right now would be considered going back to the party scene, going back to the nightclubs, going back to the sexual escapades of different people, going back to the bottle, going back, going back to all these things and more. This is what the Bible says, chapter 2 of 2 Peter, verse 21. It says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. One of the most disgusting things that I've ever seen is a dog eating its vomit. Many years ago, we had a dog. Her name was Molly. Great dog. We loved her. She loved us. But she wasn't the sharpest knife on the block. And she had fun. She could catch mice and things like that, but she couldn't bring a ball back. And there'd be times where she would just, we'd let her go off leash, you know, and most of the time she'd be, but there'd be the times she'd just take off. And I'm like, well, you know, Maria's like, whatever, let her go. And then she'd always come back. And Molly, we loved her so much, and she ate her vomit more than I would want to tell you. I mean, we would get her nice food, we'd put it all like, it's not like we were mean to her, but she would eat her vomit. She'd go outside, she'd vomit, she'd come back in, and she'd go back out, and she'd rah, 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 rah. like, what is your problem? What are you thinking? You know, she wasn't saved most of her life. I shared the gospel with her later in life. She came to. It just didn't make any sense. I, I remember, I was just like, what is your problem? What is so tasty about your vomit? And then it reminded me, although I didn't go in my own life to this extreme, I remember on more than one occasion waking up in my own vomit. Having it there on the pillow, maybe on the side of the road, and having to start thinking about what happened last night. What happened? 
Why did I get people so angry that they dropped me off on the side of the road and didn't take me all the way home? It was only another couple blocks, so I must have really ticked them off. My friends, so-called. But also my behavior. So it is when our old friends want to stumble us and, and want to take you back into your past life. You need to look them in the eye and say, hey, look, man, I'm not going back to eat my own vomit. And that to probably will say, what are you talking about? And you could say very kindly, well, I learned something in the Bible about going back with you. Like the Bible already warned me. He already told me about this was going to happen. They told me you were going to come. Oh, where's my name? No, no, your name's not in the Bible. But this behavior is. You see, God loves me so much that he predicted. Like it doesn't have to be an argument with your friends. You, you, can, you can carefully come alongside them just planting seeds of, and you can open up right here in Second Peter and say, look, this is what the Bible says. If I go back with you, then the Bible says that I'll be eating my vomit like a dog. You don't want me to eat my vomit like a dog, do you? And you know their response, depending on what your friends are. It could be a thousand different things, but any response is a good response. You've shared the word with them. You've given them the authority of why you do things. And if they say, wow, that's, that's weird, man. What else is in the Bible? Give them a couple more weird things. <laughs> Show them that the Bible speaks to their life. Because what's weird to them, after they're born again, ah, now I get it. Because they can't understand the depth of it because they're not born again. So that you're, as you're sowing the seeds, God's going to activate the word of God in their lives and bring them to a place of decision. And maybe you just need to remember now yourself, if you go back, Christian, to your sin, if you go back to that which held you in bondage, if you go back to that behavior, this is what you become. Like an animal who's fed so well and taking such good care of. I think back to Molly. Molly had it made. She didn't pay rent. She didn't have a curfew. She was taken care of. She was cleaned and brushed and spoiled like you. She had it great. She had everything that a dog could want. And yet, there were those episodes where she forsook it all. And you know what happened? It's a vicious cycle. She ate the vomit. What'd she do next? Vomit. And believers, I watch it happen all the time. And then somebody, God allows somebody into your life to beg with you and plead with you and you get mad at them. You hear a Bible study, even tonight, the Holy Spirit using you, you get mad at me. But God doesn't want you to live on that level. He doesn't, that, there's so much more available to you. There's so much more in the Spirit. Your old friends, you know, there's a decision you need to make because I, there's a caution and an encouragement here. You know, you're not hanging out with them. You're not partying with them. Look at verse five. They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to give account. I want you to take heart to that because they're going to give account. And if you have any influence in their lives, you can be a part of their giving account to God. So I want to caution you and encourage you at the same time. Number one, if you're in a more weakened state, be careful of the people you used to hang around with. Be very careful and cautious. You want to, it doesn't mean you just need to go out and, you know, you know where they're at tonight partying, so you're just going to show up and share the gospel with them. That's probably not the wisest thing to do. 
And if you're struggling with alcohol, drugs, you know, that they're at the bar tonight, it's probably not wise to head out to the bar tonight. It's not, there's a caution. You want to be careful. However, you don't want to abandon your old friends. They're your mission field. You don't want to just give up on all your old friends. God allowed them into your life. So you now can approach your friends from a place of strength, not weakness. And you want to follow through with what Jesus said to go into all the world. And your friends are probably more reachable for you than they will be for me because they know you, you have a history with them. You may just be the tool that God uses to reach them. So yeah, don't run with them, right? You, it says right here, you don't, they think it's strange you don't run with them anymore, but also at the same time, they're gonna give account. So if they're gonna give account, let's take serious the opportunities that God places before us to share the gospel. Remember I had mentioned to you the 10-year reunion uh, of my high school, which is a long, long time ago, but there was one, a 10-year reunion, and they had found out that I was a Christian and I'm going to be a pastor, and so what do they do? They uh, asked me, speech, 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 speech. You bet I'll give you a speech. Where's the microphone? And that's exactly what I did. I gave them the gospel, very forthrightly, very clearly. I didn't give an altar call, but I certainly gave the gospel there. You know, 10 years earlier, I'm getting kicked out of high school. And now 10 years later, I'm inviting people to heaven and reminding them of their sins. And what I found out that before, before that opportunity to share, uh, that we, there wasn't a lot of talk about Christianity on the floor, you know. Let's talk about the past. Remember this, remember this. A lot of people getting drunk and such. Uh, but after that, all kinds of people came up and started saying, thank you. I'm a Christian too. Thank you. They were all kind of hidden and quiet. And then from that opportunity to use the microphone, conversations started changing at that reunion. And people started sharing. And it just gave that sense of, hey, I didn't know you were saved. And now, now I am. Yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are. Trust me. <laughs> it's shocking that God would love me so much that he would be gracious to me all the way to the very end. So you don't want to abandon your friends, but you also want to be very careful with them. And that's why I believe Jesus sends people out two by two. So if you do go, you, going two by two is a great thing, that, a model of Jesus, that if things do get sketchy or dangerous, you've got a strong believer with you to pull you out. And you can do it together and be encouraged together and be strengthened together. And just remember this too. The reason I'm here today in Aurora, Colorado in the year 2021 is because an old friend of mine that got saved took these words to heart. He was both cautious, but he was also bold with the gospel in my life. And he was bold in a way that very few people would be because he knew me. We grew up together. And our relationship dates back to playing baseball together as eight-year-olds, not having any idea what the future might hold for us, that those kids playing baseball at eight would do a lot of bad things for many, probably eight-plus years later on in life, and then my friend gets saved, and then he finds as many people as he can to tell about, I'm glad he didn't abandon me. And I'm glad he didn't just say, oh, no, 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 that guy's too bad. You know, it'll mess up my marriage. It'll mess up. No, because he came with boldness. And he came in the strength of the Lord. And you can too. And then notice in verse 6, he says, For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those that are dead, 
that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. One of those passages, it's not as complicated as it sounds because we've already dealt with some of the things that Jesus did in preaching to the spirits that had died. But I believe here in verse 6, you have an example of preaching to those that are dead in Christ. Preaching the gospel to your friends, the context of your old friendships and the people you used to hang with. Peter's teaching us now and the believers then that the gospel is good news and needs to be shared with a lost and dying world. And so because of this, these old relationships, the gospel's still being preached because they're going to give account. Listen, they're going to give account and you're going to give account for your life. You're going to give account for the life that God has given to you. What have you done with my son, Jesus? How have you dealt with the sinful mistakes of your life? It's important for us to preach the gospel to those that are spiritually dead. Because Jesus has a life of freedom and peace and forgiveness. Jesus wants to deliver you from licentiousness. He wants to deliver you from a life of lust. He wants to deliver you from your drunkenness and your wild parties. That's what revelry means. And your drinking parties and your abominable idolatries. He wants you to be strange, but in a good way to those that have lived these kind of lives and those that have been with you. He wants you to, see, he wants you to be on display as what? An example to follow. He doesn't want us to be an example to avoid. He doesn't want us to be like Paul. Note those guys who are enemies of the cross. It's God's desire for us to be examples to follow, to mimic, so that you can look someone. I just want you to pray that. I want you to pray that as we head out. I want you to pray that God would enable you to tell somebody, look them in the eye, and say, I want you to follow me as an example of following Jesus Christ. Those are powerful words. That would put upon you such a great weight of responsibility. Listen, not to be a good example, because that puts all the weight on you. Do you know what it does? It puts a weight on you to abide in Christ and to trust him with your life. It's not going to cause you to look at all your little behaviors. That would be the wrong way to handle it. Well, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. People are watching. People are already watching. So you're an example the, right now. The only difference, you're either a good one or a bad one. But you already are an example. So it's not to, to develop all this list of rules. And, oh, everybody's watching me. I'm so nervous. I'm, no, no. Everybody's watching you already. But rather it says, you know what, Lord? I, I think too highly of myself. I think I'm a 10. Or I think too lowly of myself. I think I'm minus 10 right now in my walk with the Lord. God, would you just bring me back to basics? I want to come back to zero, where you are everything. You are my everything. And my life is found in you. And my strength is found in you. And my obedience comes from you. And my love for the unlovely comes from you. And my victory over sin comes from you. That's my victory. It's not because I put something on my phone. And it's not because I have an accountability partner. And it's not because, no, it's because of the faithfulness of God. Hey, use whatever you need to do around you. I know I'm not against that. But don't think that's the reason. Don't give credit to the methods. Give credit to the God of the methods. It's his strength. And it's his power. And it's the newness of life that comes from him. When you come back to zero, you just remember. You could not gain victory over sin on your own. 
It must be a work of God. And it's still that way today. And it's such a neat thing that God would deliver us out to send us back in living a life that pleases him. So Father, thank you for this section of Peter. And, and I, I'm just grateful as I think of my uh, salvation, God, and the deliverance of sin. I thank you for my friend Jack and his wife, Debbie. Uh, I thank you, God, for the boldness that he had in making a phone call and even enduring how I was disrespectful to him and even mean. And it didn't stop him from loving me. And he was representing the love that you had for me. And I thank you for that friend and so many others in my life, Lord. I thank you, God, for the songs you put in our hearts and the, the love that you spread among us and the joy that there is in living for you in these last days. May we be men and women of love, mercy, and grace. And we, for, you know, if you see us going back to our vomit, God, stop us, would you? Stop us and put a new taste in our mouths, a new joy. May we never be seen as returning back, but rather pressing forward in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.